Hello everyone. Yes, it's time for another show. You are listening again to Crash, the UK Geek Podcast, recorded on Wednesday the 10th of November 2021 at 22.53.57. I watched earlier today No Time to Die, really enjoyed it. I'm not going to be talking about that tonight, just thought I'd mention it. It was an exceedingly long film, very action-packed, but it did leave me feeling a little tired, so I had a break. I swigged down quite a lot of caffeine. It should be kicking in just about now. Fingers crossed. Anyway, did I even say what episode this was? Well, it is 412... And today we are finally talking about Dune. I should warn you right at the beginning, although I said I'd no longer warn people about spoilers, but this is a fairly spoiler-ridden review. Not just of Denis Villeneuve's adaptation of the first half of the Frank Herbert novel, Dune, but much of the Dune saga. You have been warned. This new Dune film was released this year. It is directed by Denis Villeneuve, the French-Canadian filmmaker. It stars Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica, Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto, Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck, Stellan Skarsgård as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, Dave Bautista as the Beast Raban, Stephen McKinley Henderson as Thafir Howat, you may remember him from Devs, largely playing the same kind of geeky character, Zendaya from Spider-Man, playing Charney, Chang Chen, playing Dr. Yue, Sharon Duncan Brewster, as Dr. Liet Kynes, Charlotte Rampling, as the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Moyam, the Bene Gesserit Witch, <laughs> Jason Momoa, as the Dashing Duncan Idaho, and Javier Bardem, as Stilgar. And, of course, the many extras, and many other people who... I couldn't be bothered to write down, but are just as important to the movie. Before we talk about the film, let's talk about the Dune universe itself and what makes it special and different from the other sprawling science fiction and fantasy epics like Foundation or Star Wars. The thing that makes Dune different is that it is fairly pessimistic. It is a spiralling tragedy. The situation never improves, despite people with noble intentions, incredible technology, and a vast, powerful interstellar empire. All is doomed. If there was ever a pain to the dangers of unrestrained capitalism and imperialistic hegemony, it is Dune. 
Regarding my own experience with the universe, I have read all the way through the Frank Herbert books, Dune, Dune, Messiah, Children of Dune, and God Emperor of Dune when I was a teenager. However, I can only say that I'm truly a fan of the first two books, which follow the journey of Paul Atreides, the young heir of House Atreides. I have read those two books several times. It's not that the story really degrades in later books, but I invested so much in Paul that the later story holds little interest for me. I think I have also glanced through some art books on Dune, but it was a very, very long time ago. I'm not sure if there are any comic book adaptations. I'm sure there are. I'm not sure that I've read any. Regarding previous screen adaptations, I have seen the David Lynch movie numerous times and enjoyed it, as well as the Hallmark TV show which I've been through once, which goes all the way to Children of Dune, I think. don't think it goes as far as God Emperor. I think it goes as far as Children of Dune. So that's Dune, Dune Messiah, and Children of Dune. I may or may not have seen the documentary about the ambitious, though unmade, Dune film, by Chilean artist and filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky. I say may or may not, because I have read some of Jodorowsky's work before in comics, and it's been such a long time I'm getting the whole thing all mixed up in my head. It feels like I have seen the documentary before, but a very long time ago. I do also have a copy of the documentary, and at one stage I was going to interview one of the producers, but I never got round to doing that. I enjoyed all those previous attempts at Dune, the David Lynch, the unmade Yedorowski attempt, and the Hallmark TV series. I appreciated their artistic interpretations of the literature. However, I do feel that they are but pale reflections of Dune and the Dune Messiah novels. With all that in mind, how does the latest film fare? Well, before we do that, perhaps I should actually tell you what happens in the film. Don't worry, it won't be exhaustive, and I won't be talking for hours and hours, but I'll give you a brief overview of what happens in the films, and then I'll tell you what I thought. Which is just as well, because I have quite a lot of thoughts, and yeah, I don't want to make this too much of a chore for people to listen to. So I'd better get on with it then. In the film, Paul Atreides, a teenager and heir apparent to one of the rich and powerful 
aristocratic houses that control the known universe under the leadership of the Padishah Emperor, and his family are given the opportunity to rule the source of the universe's power. That is a planet called Arrakis, or more colloquially, Dune. The arid desert planet is mined for spice, which enables long life, and perhaps more importantly, it allows the members of the Spacing Guild to navigate interstellar hyperspace. This promotion of the Atreides family, however, is a deceitful ploy to allow the former rulers, the brutal Harkonnens, a rival house, to ambush the Atreides, thereby eliminating competition to the Padishah Emperor's power, because he feels threatened by the Atreides. In other words, the Emperor conducts a proxy war in order to keep his hands clean with an assault disguised as internecine warfare. During the course of the film, Paul and his family leave their peaceful former home, the planet Caladan, an ocean-based planet. They assume the rulership of Dune and are almost immediately attacked. Paul's father dies, and he and his mother escape into the sandy wastes. Avoiding the native giant sandworms, they are allowed to join the native Arab-like Fremen after a lethal trial by combat. And that is the dried and desiccated bones of the story. Now, let me tell you what I thought. First of all, let's talk casting. I think diversity is terrible in this film. We are on an arid, desert world of a far future planet, sparsely populated by a heavily Arab-influenced culture, and there does not appear to be a single Arab in the main cast. The casting decisions also bemused me. Why is Josh Brolin, Gurney Halleck, and Dave Bautista the Beast Raban? I definitely think that the roles should have been reversed, because Dave Bautista is a muscle-bound lump of a man, but is also very charismatic, which reminds you, if you're a fan, immediately of Gurney Halleck. And the Beast Raban, the brutal fist of House Harkonnen, is a really nasty bastard, and there is something vain and egotistical about Josh Brolin's screen presence that would suit the Harkonnen demeanour. However, even with those quibbles and with the problems of diversity, I don't have any other significant complaints about the main cast in general. And I must compliment Stellan Skarsgård, who is terrifying as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. 
Still on the subject of casting, let us talk about Dr. Liet Kynes, who is one of my favourite characters from the book. Dr. Kynes, Imperial Planetologist, technically an employee of the Emperor, has gone native and is a person balancing on the very cry's knife edge of two very different worlds. In this film, he is mildly gender-bent to be played by a female, which is absolutely fine, but he's a fairly minor character, so it is hardly that much of a daring risk take to gender-bend that character. I would have done something far more radical. I've been thinking about this since the film came out. I would have cast Duncan Idaho as a woman. Jason Momoa does a fine job. However, if you have read the books, you'll know that that kind of weird casting would oddly suit his biological destiny as a clone. So why not do something different and make the original version a woman then the first clone could be played by Jason Momoa in a later movie. My next point is rather trivial, but it did annoy me. Why do the Harkonnens and their household and retainers all have shaved heads? Okay, look, in the David Lynch movie, it was red hair, everyone had red hair. But what is the point in repeating this clumsy visual shorthand for, I'm assuming in this case, brutality? Also, did the Baron remind you of Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now? Let's move on to the adaptation. I think Dune 2021 is a very straight adaptation of the book despite those little changes in, say, gender. I would say it remains overly faithful to the book, and while the medium of film is used to create epic and beautiful sea, space and desert scapes, it is not used in a way that could have enhanced the novel and created a truly unique film. I have had a think about this, and I'll give you an example of what I might have done. Paul is born on the sea world of Caladan. Setting aside that we actually don't see any boats or ships or ports, and in fact that Caladan appears wholly unpopulated with native peoples, and there is no evidence of Atreides' so-called sea power. Maybe I've got to watch the movie again, maybe I missed something. Yeah, setting all that aside, how is Paul's strong tie to the ocean world of his birth shown before he leaves his beloved planet forever? In the film, he goes for a stroll on the beach. And that's really it. What I would change is maybe he goes for a last swim 
or a paddle, or perhaps a sail. He's a teenager, he lives on Beach World. You would have thought he would have some kind of little boat, or perhaps even a surfboard. And why does Paul not take a keepsake to remember his home? Perhaps a seashell, or even a canoe? that he could pack away with his belongings, unpack on Arrakis, then later stare at that souvenir wistfully when he is feeling homesick. Or perhaps before he leaves Caladan, there could be a last silent encounter with friends, because teenagers, like dinosaurs, will always find a way. Any of those things, like showing some of the Atreides' sea power, showing Paul's strong attachment to Caladan and the sea, perhaps meeting a friend, any of those things would not have required adding to the dialogue. They could have been done completely silently, they would not have substantially changed or detracted from the story. On the contrary, I feel that a little exercise in creativity would have made for a better overall movie. Instead, we got this very lovely, but unimaginative adaptation. On the other hand, the realisation of that universe was generally great, though I do wish I'd seen more of the vast spacing guild's highliner ships, the giant spaceships that traverse hyperspace, guided by the massively mutated guild navigators, something that we do see more of in the David Lynch film, I loved the dragonfly-like ornithopters. They were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. And I should add, I don't think I've said that yet. I watched this movie in the company of my mother, who has just read the first few novel. It's absolutely her first time, and she really enjoyed it. So, you don't just have me, who is already invested in the Dune universe. You have a completely new person, and I did listen to what she said. She liked it a lot. She didn't share any of my criticisms. So, perhaps if you are completely new to the Dune universe, you won't be as moany as I am. Continuing on with things that I enjoyed, I loved the absolute awesome majesty of the sandworms. All praise the great maker, Shai Halud. I've been waiting to say that for a long time. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. All praise the great maker, Shai Halud. Here's something that I thought wasn't so great. I thought that the Emperor's shock troops, the elite Sarduka, 
their combat scenes were silly. The Padishah Emperor's commandos in this scene descend to attack, SAS-like, but not on ropes, but anti-gravity suspensor belts. When I saw that, first thing I thought were, aren't they sitting targets? They're just like big turkeys, and they've got these pale suits, which <laughs> I was just thinking, they just look like big targets. And yeah, before you chime in and tell me everyone has Holtzman shield generator belts, yes, I do know that. So they can't be shot. But the thing is, you are still vulnerable and people know which direction you're going and where you're going to land. So you would have thought that at the moment of landing, they would be vulnerable. Although, from the movie, no one has pikes. Why have they not reinvented the pike? <laughs> oh, okay, what else? The Mantats. I liked the actors playing Mantats. I mentioned one of them was the guy from Devs. And the other guy was... Oh, it's got a complicated name, but he was Polka Dot Man in The Suicide Squad. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Oh, it's just on the tip of my tongue. I'm not going to Google it right now. But yeah, I liked the Mantats. The good Mantat, Fafir Hawat, and the bad Mantat, Piter de Vries. But I must admit, I found their rolling their eyes up in their heads every time they ran calculations a bit silly. I'm saying that because I used to do that. In fact, I can even remember the last time I did that. Oh, when was that now? I was in a Krav Maga class, and they would tell you to do a certain thing with your hands or your legs, and I'd have to really think about that. It just made me look really stupid. <laughs> and it does get you ridiculed. I much preferred... The sapho-stained lips of Mantats in David Lynch's Dune. Though the old man eyebrows from Lynch's Dune was a little odd. Although I'm getting older, so I actually get those kind of eyebrows. If I don't pay attention to them. <laughs> How did we get on to old man eyebrows? What else? Okay. As I often say, I try not to listen to what other people think before I do my reviews, but I couldn't help noticing that there have been some comments about how the terminology of the Dune universe isn't explained well in the film. For me, it's explained enough, but I can understand that. I'm just thinking back to when my mother was reading the novel, when she finished it, she decided to go through the glossary at the back because she found some of the terminology difficult to remember. 
So I am guessing someone who comes to this movie completely fresh with no idea what to expect might be a little confused. However, I'm glad of the way they did it. They didn't over-explain because for me there's nothing worse than clumsy exposition. I think what we need to know is explained as much as it needs to be explained. But like I said before, I would say that as a fan who is familiar with the material. Maybe you need to chime in on this if you are a listener and you know not too much about Dune. Do you think it was confusing? Finally... Although I could go on about this stuff for hours, I don't think that would be appreciated. So let me just end on something a little odd. What the hell was the Baron's weird spider-humanoid pet or gimp? Was it a stylistic nod to the late Swiss artist H.R. Giger, who worked on the unmade Jodorowsky Dune film? David Lynch's Dune, Alien, etc. His idiosyncratic biomechanical horror erotica can certainly be seen in the creature design of the scuttling shiny thing, shiny, shiny black thing. <laughs> what is that about? I suppose we might find out in... A future film, but somehow I doubt it. I think that was just a visual, tonal thing. A shorthand to show how depraved Baron Vladimir Harkonnen is. So in conclusion, what did I think? From what you've heard, you may think I hated it. I didn't. I liked it. But I am disappointed that... The film took no risk and played it generally safe. I was expecting greater things using the unique medium of film, but only got what was already there in the text. I am reminded of Peter Jackson's equally risk-averse The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Okay, Apart from the disastrous frame rate changes in The Hobbit, that that's a technical thing, not narrative. I will also admit that the books, Dune and Dune Messiah, are not perfect. There are many loose ends and plot holes. I wish that the film addressed some of those, as well as adding a little of the... Villeneuve auteur flair through visual storytelling in the ways I suggested. The movie is, however, evocative and epic and captured the grand scale vistas of space, of the strange worlds that we visit, Caladan and Arrakis. Diversity aside, I also generally liked the main cast. I've said that already. I liked the portrayal of a far-future technology, which is high-tech, but without computers. 
again, that might be lost on someone who's coming to this fresh. I know that because I've read the books. It is the reason there are Mentats, and I'm not going to go into this now because I'll just go off on a long tangent and turn into a dune bore. But it does make me wonder if anyone noticed that, who wasn't already a fan. All the favourite fan moments are there in the movie. The Bene Gesserit's Kwisatz Haderach test. The litany against fear. The confrontation between the Baron and the Duke. The fight with Jamis. The fantastic and awesome majesty of the Sandworms. And, yeah, those beautiful, lovely ornithopters flapping away. Amazing. I do look forward to the next film, but I hope there is a third so that Dune Messiah is included. Without Dune Messiah, Paul's arc is incomplete, and that would be sad. I'm guessing this all depends on how well the film does financially, but it would be an artistic travesty to not film Dune Messiah. I've also said some fairly favourable things about the David Lynch film. Which is the better film? I would say this film. (laughs) Without a doubt, this film is a better film. It's better acted, the effects are better. It's just not as weird (laughs) and Lynchian. I believe that David Lynch is not happy with a film that he made back in the 80s. I would say it's not as bad as he thinks it is, but this is a better film. Oh, there is so much else I could talk about. Like the little mouse hopping creature that Paul sees and becomes important later on. The Muadib and Shout Out Mapes and just so many things that I could talk about, but I think I've said enough. I will say one thing in conclusion about Dune. Much as I generally don't like gloomy doomy sci-fi dystopias, the Dune universe is the perfect warning against hereditary, hegemony, imperialism, despotism, fundamentalism, and unfettered capitalism. It's fatalistic, but still relevant today as it was in the 60s, when the book was written. I think filming a book from the 60s in the 2020s is still relevant. And yet, despite all those depressing things about the franchise, Dune somehow manages to be engaging despite all that pessimism. It is making a point about those not-so-good things about politics, 
do we really want to wake up to a world of untouchable, entitled, super-rich, influencing every aspect of our lives? Oh. Oh, I, I see. <laughs> We're already there. Finally, 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 let's see what other people have said. I've got some listener comments. In fact, I have some comments from one listener, and that is friend of the show, at S. Garnell, who tweeted at me uh, a couple of days ago on the 8th. The first tweet reads, Dune, yeah, it was good, but I felt it dumbed down the story and replaced narrative with cinematic eye candy. A well-made film, no doubt, but missing some of the details and plot complexity that makes Dune unique. He says in another tweet, It's funny, either you're too close or too far from the narrative. Dune is a hard one to do, because it's narratively too philosophical for modern film, more focused on whammies, sex and violence. Visually, it's expensive to make because of its epic nature. Yes, I'd agree with all of that. Though, like I said, I think not only did it not get right into the complexity of the plot, but it also didn't use the medium of filmmaking creatively. Thank you for your comment, at S. Garnell. And that is it for my review of Dune. I was quite excited to see this film. I remember when it was announced ages and ages ago, and I had high hopes for it. As you have gathered, I have mixed feelings. To reiterate, I think it's sad that there weren't Arabs in the main cast. Yeah, sure, it is a far future planet. The gene pool is very mixed. Culture in the very future will presumably not reflect race and vice versa. Still, I would have liked to see Arabs in the main cast. And now I'm talking and talking and talking for ages and ages and ages, and I'm really done. Ah, my legs are killing me, and I need more caffeine. Oh, not really the wisest thing to do, but at this stage I actually need extra energy just to ascend the stairs and go to bed. The show that you just listened to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymatur.com. For the love of God, please get in touch. Doing a solo podcast is lonely. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or enemy if you don't like it. That makes sense, doesn't it? Or click on the contact or support link on the website. Yes, you can correspond with me. Send me in your comments or financially support 
the podcast with a small contribution, if that's something you can afford. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show. Yes, it's such a stupid title for a show. The UK Geek Podcast. This was episode 412, recorded on Wednesday, the 10th of November, 2021. And the time at the end of the show, with the train rattling around somewhere behind me in the dark of night, is 23.45.29. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye.